So welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm joined by... My name is Edward Chrysler. I'm the North American PR representative and gaming evangelist for Sapphire Technologies. Gaming evangelist, I like that. Well, um, it, it, it was. It, this has been a real eye-opening. This job has been for me. Uh, I was a reviewer for like 20 years. And I got the job offer. It kind of came out of the blue and I got into this. And you, you'll be amazed what happens on this side of the industry that you don't know about as a reviewer. You just don't understand what's going on. And I'm amazed how many PR reps that rep gaming hardware aren't gamers. I know I can 100% believe it. I mean, I worked at a major automotive company. Many of the people there, you know, brilliant engineers, but couldn't care less about cars. Although I will say, actually, in that industry, I entered it um, working for one of the big three, not caring about cars. But by the time I left, I actually liked cars a lot. It's almost impossible (laughs) to work on, you know, like for like if you're working on some kind of Viper or a Camaro for a year, you'll probably end up liking it by the end. Yeah. Well, for me, I started computer gaming in 1977. Mm-hmm. And I've been computer gaming ever since. I've been an enthusiast. Like I said, I've worked in the industry. I've been a reviewer. I've worked with game developers. Uh, now I work for Sapphire. And so would you say that's true, though? Like everyone who entered into the automotive industry usually comes out at least appreciating cars. Do you see that in the like people who start to work for Sapphire? They all start to like gaming a little more or well, do you or maybe not? We, we haven't had a lot of turnover. Uh, since mm-hmm. I've been with Sapphire. I've been with Sapphire about seven years. So I can't tell you that. I can tell you the people I work with, many of them appreciate gaming. Mm-hmm. They get gaming, but they're not gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, to them, a gamer is, well, th- to give you an idea for me, a, ga- a gaming, gaming isn't a hobby for me. It's a lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch four hours, maybe five hours of TV a week, and I gain 25. Mm-hmm. So, and that's my whole family. We're a family of gamers. So it it's a very different approach. It's a very different feel. Um, I can tell you that reps I know outside of Sapphire, they get mixed results of what they think of gamers in general. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that badly. When you deal with individual gamers, when you deal with small groups of gamers, gamers are amazing. They're incredible to hang out with. They're they're educated and they're passionate people and they're kind and, and so inclusive in everything they do. But when you talk about the entirety, totality mm-hmm. of the gaming community, it usually gets negative for assholes. some reason. It, it's like Reddit. It, it's <laughs> like it's like you've dove into the deep end of Reddit. It the gaming community as a whole just gets toxic. They will beg and plead for we'll use a video game as an example because that's mm-hmm. the most useful example yeah. to me they'll beg and plead for a new video game and the company yeah. will tell them we need time we need time we need time and they're screaming at the delays and then they get the game that got rushed to them and they're complaining it wasn't fixed right pre-ordering classic example of this everybody knows pre-ordering is bad it's it's never going to end well it has never ended well all right but people still rush and do it again and again and again. But then they spend 20 minutes bitching about it when the game releases. 
Mm-hmm. Be smart. Hold on to your money for a couple of weeks. Wait for the bugs to get worked out. Uh, I think a classic example of that right now today is Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad game, but it wasn't ready. And well, I mean, and it, and it launched first on the Epic Game Store, which has its own issues there. I, I mean, when it comes to pre-ordering, yeah, I don't really pre-order almost any games anymore. I used to... Like maybe 15 years ago, but that's when they used to have these ridiculous practices where if you didn't pre-order the game, you might just not get a map pack. So if I knew I was going to like the game, I would pre-order that. But they don't really do that anymore. Now, if you pre-order, you get a hat. I don't really, I don't know, I need that hat. (laughs) Most people don't know the background to understand why pre-ordering never came into existence. Back in the day, we had game stores, we had GameStop, and you had at, at Best Buy and Walmart even, and you had to physically buy a copy of the game. And these stores would only get so many copies in for launch day. There were right. only so many copies right. printed. And if you pre-ordered, you were guaranteed you were going to get a copy. If you didn't pre-order, you weren't getting a copy on launch mm-hmm. day. Now, back then, remember, that didn't buy you into a beta Back mm-hmm. then, betas were actually hired. I, I've done over 100 betas over the years. Pre-ordering then was important if you wanted to have game on launch day. And back then... And there were some games where you had to. I mean, yeah, I remember it, that. It, well, it, it's also back then, we didn't have, in the earlier days, before before the internet took off. Sure. We didn't have a lot of ways to get patches quick. Um, bulletin board systems existed, but that usually involved a long distance call and a two to three hour phone call. And if you were living at home with your mother, you were about to get really hurt when the phone bill showed up. So the games were better at release. They Typically, yeah. Release. And if there was a problem, I mean, like if there was an imbalance or a bug in Age of Empires 2, it's just like, well, <laughs> that bug's just there then. <laughs> We're going to try to fix this, but I can't guarantee everybody's going to get it. So they, made, they went out of their way. Again, this is back when beta testers really tested. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I do beta testing with these companies, what would happen is, is they would send you, I mean, they would ship you a, a, a CD or a bunch of discs, and you would have this pre-code of a small portion of the mm-hmm. game. Yeah, I and remember the say, SOCOM betas. They literally had to ship you a disk and you had to install stuff. Yeah. And and you were expected, you were given a week to play this beta segment and to look at specific things they wanted you to look at. Mm-hmm. And then you had to file a report. Now, if you didn't file the report, they wouldn't immediately fire you. You'd go through a few cycles of this. But when people wouldn't file reports, they'd let them go. And then you wouldn't get into betas again. Today, beta testing is a joke. It's well, no, it's a glorified demo, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's an excuse to get money, and people jump and run, and they want their beta, and they want their early access, and they want their... Guys, slow down, be patient. The game will get here. Well, so I guess where I'll start here, then, is to give you some idea of like where I come from. I mean, I think of myself as one of the last, like an older millennial, one of the last people to remember not having the internet. Like I didn't have a smartphone until into high school. I didn't have any, I mean, I'd use a library for all my reports until high school. I remember the days where our household had one desktop in my parents' bedroom. (laughs) That's it. And that's the desktop. I mean, I would get to play Age of Empires 2 in the morning before I got on the bus to school. You know, all of that stuff. I remember there was the internet, but it was 
I mean, horrible and and terrible to search. And I remember like Final Fantasy X, I just had to print out a 200 page. I had to waste an entire ream of paper for my parents and staple it because you were not going to look up a guide every day, at least. No, no. And I mean, I remember most websites just weren't even useful too. I mean, yes, they were there, but there weren't a lot of useful ones. It wasn't like now where like, if you conceive of something you want to know, it's there, like it's there. And someone's categorized it so it's easy to use. And I mean, my first online games were was <laughs> was Medal of Honor Heroes on the PlayStation Portable because that was the, old. because that was the first device I owned with Wi-Fi, and we didn't have Ethernet ports. That right. like right, so like the PS2s that I had didn't have that. There was one desktop that. Really, none of the games I had worked online, to be honest, but that worked. So that was the first one I played, and I played that a ton. And it wasn't even until, you know, last-gen consoles that I really got into online gaming. But I guess, to give you some reference, I do remember when we didn't really have the internet. Just barely I remember it, though. We see, I got to start with online gaming. As silly as that sounds, in 1977, I started with online gaming. No, yeah, I know. It existed. Uh, my my uh, first computer experiences was on a system called Plato, which was out of the University of Illinois, but it connected something like 50 to 100 universities around the world, real-time mm-hmm. connection. And of course, if there's a computer, somebody was going to figure out how to play games, and Dungeons and Dragons was big back then. So we actually I had played that online, in school a bit. We yeah. had online gaming of Dungeons and Dragons games. Sure. Uh, the, the first game I played, in fact, ever on a computer was a game called Bugs and Drugs, which was a Dungeons and Dragons style game written as an educational tool for medical students. <laughs> so let them play Dungeons and Dragons running around a hospital. The monsters were viruses and bacteria. Your weapons were the various different medications. There were, and, I don't think I played that one, but I played Dungeons and Dragons clones that were educational for other things as well. That was a big thing back then, educational games. They don't really do that anymore. At least I don't see it. At least I remember playing tons of educational games back in the 90s. Kerbal Space Program could be considered educational. Uh, Hearts of Iron could be considered educational if you really get into it. Because you can see how the world evolved as it moved into World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a fun educational game. And then, then you start running out of them. You're right. There just aren't. I, I'm mean, not exactly happened? looking. I'm older now. So what do I, I know? St- I still like an occasional educational game. But um, so you, you went to the University of Illinois? No, no, no. Uh, I actually went to Southern Illinois University, mm-hmm. which so was one of the I, universities that were connected. So and, and that's in Carbondale? Yes. And no, I have a God, couple you know of friends. Is. <laughs> I do. I, I don't tell people where I live, but I have several friends who went to Carbondale and I know all of this area well. So I, I, I think we I actually live up, pretty close to each other, by the way. <laughs> I grew up in, well, we'll have to talk about that. We'll have to hook up. Yeah. And have um, I grew up in a little town called Oroville. I don't know that one. <laughs> Had a population of about 30. Okay, well, then that and, would be why. <laughs> and the school I went to, El Verado, my graduating class was 28. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was a small town country boy. I grew up baling hay and slopping mm-hmm. pigs and everything else. And yet this is what I do for a living. And so what got you into the PC business? Because I did a little bit of research on your background. I think you had your own personal 
business and then you had I, your own show? I had my own business. Uh, I did computer ed radio for 17 or 18 years. Uh, at our peak, we were up to about 100,000 listeners a week. Mm-hmm. And this was a real radio show. This yeah. wasn't a podcast. This was a terrestrial yeah. go to a radio no, station understand. studio show. Um, and I did it because I love gaming. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I get asked all the time, what got you into gaming? What got me? Well, not just gaming, but computers in general. Computers are one of the few tools that exist in the world that your imagination is the only limit that it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can one minute be talking to somebody in Greece and getting a recipe. Mm-hmm. The next minute I can be talking to somebody in in England about Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. And then I can jump in and be Captain Kirk on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And this is just, this is instant transitions. The, the only limit to computers are your imagination. You can, and if you can't find the program that does it, by the way, that's hard to do now. Yeah. You can make it. Um, I, I used to make, I used to write programs, computer gaming programs. I took uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide from D&D, and there is a random dungeon creation system and random encounter system, as well mm-hmm. as random loot built in. And I put that all into a Tandy Color Computer 2. And made a game where I'd just start running around in a dungeon, could spend hours, and it would always mm-hmm. different. It was always something new. But there, no such game existed at that time on, on a solo standalone PC. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, I've always been, I've never been a really a programmer. I had to learn some of it. I went to college for mechanical engineering. So there were programming classes, but uh, I, uh, I never really, really got into it to the level where you can make games. But I always liked games that had a component that would let you create things. Like I had Rayman on PC and it came with Rayman like a level yeah. editor. Yes. And I never, maybe it's because I was seven, but I could never figure out how to like share them or use other people's stuff or add enemies to it. But I would just make them for myself to play even just because I love creating so much. It's been close to 30 years since I programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I programmed in BASIC, I programmed in Fourth and Pascal in Tutor, in COBOL and Fortran. I'm trying to remember what else, C++. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. And, and I just realized one day I wanted to have a social life. Because <laughs> if, if you've ever programmed in any of these languages, you understand there is no social life. That's your, that's your life. You're stuck into the programming. Mm-hmm. Um, programmers today have so many tools available to them that are pre-written. You just mm-hmm. plug these in where you need it to go. Back then, we had nothing pre-written. We had to create it from scratch. Yeah, I mean, I for my like, I, I have I have mining rigs. I've also made Minecraft servers, and people will like look at these scripts that I put together that are a page long and go, "Well, how did you do that?" And it's like, "Well, someone kind of did all the work for me online." Yeah, I just found the right ones, and I understand enough about programming and what how you do these things that I can piece them together. And if it doesn't work, I can debug it myself. But that's it. I haven't even done that for years. Yeah, I just I, I got to the point. I want to use my computer. I want to enjoy my computer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, I, and so I've always, so really that's what got me, well, I mean, I've always loved gaming and stuff. And I w- played a ton of online stuff in college and high school. And then uh, eventually I got into mining. And so I started to pay more and more attention to the computer hardware from that perspective. But that right. brought me down the rabbit hole of just looking at it for gaming and all, you know, rendering all types of other stuff too. And 
slowly, I just kind of decided to start a channel late last year for fun, see if it goes anywhere. And so now I'm here. But like, what brought you to Sapphire? Getting to Sapphire was kind of a fluke. Um, mm-hmm. About two years before that, our whole time with the radio show, we had never made the trip to CES ever. Mm-hmm. Because I did the radio show for free. It was it was a it, it was for love of, of computers that I did the radio show, which I really regret now. I wish I had made money at it. <laughs> um, but we went to CES and we got to sit down with the folks from Sapphire, the the CFO, the CTO, mm-hmm. and, and a few others. And this was supposed to be a five minute meet and greet. Right. Three hours later, they kicked me and my co-host out. Because we were just having way too much fun talking, and they had other work they needed to do. Mm-hmm. So that made the initial impression. So about two years later, um, Bill Donnelly, who's not with Sapphire any longer, Bill Donnelly uh, and I are talking. I'm trying to get Sapphire made a product called the Edge, which was a small, like a Nook PC. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get one for review because I thought this was a really cool product. And, do you remember and Bill, what its specs were? Oh, it was a uh, it was one of the early APU style chips. Like was it Bobcat or something? Jaguar. Oh God, it's it's been forever. Okay. It, well, it feels that like that was one forever. of the first ones. So yeah, um, maybe Lano. I don't know. It was actually really cool. We sold it in, in three different versions. Two of them were AMD. One of them was Intel. Mm-hmm. And of the two AMD, one of them came with memory and a hard drive, and one came without. Mm-hmm. And the box, I've actually still got one in the living room. The box is tiny. Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to review this. So I'm getting a hold of Bill Donnelly, and he said, well, we've got a problem. We no longer have a North American PR rep. And I'm going to arrange this, but it's going to take me a little while because he's in England. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, dude, I'll do the job. I was kidding. I'll do the job. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And we got off. We, we were on Skype. We got off Skype. And then, gosh. 48 hours, 72 hours later, my Skype starts ringing. It's Bill. And I said, hey, did you arrange to get that sample sent to me? He said, I got something better. How serious were you the other day? About what? (laughs) What what are you talking about? He said, how serious were you that you'd like to come work for Sapphire and do PR for us in North America? Mm -hmm. I was terrified at even the thought because that's way over my head. I hadn't ever done anything like Mm -hmm. that before. Uh, he said, "I think you'll be amazing at it. I want you to. I want you to consider the job. Are you interested?" Okay, yeah, I'm interested. The next day, I'm talking to the president of the company and the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next day, I'm told I'm hired. Now, is Sapphire? I don't. Again, I don't know much about Sapphire, the company. Is it privately owned, publicly it's, traded? It's privately owned. It is not publicly traded. That's what I thought. Traded. Okay. It's actually. Uh, we we like to say we punch above our weight class. Mm-hmm. We are one of the smallest GPU manufacturers currently mm-hmm. in the market, in, in this market. Uh, yet we are the number one manufacturer for AMD-based products. I was going to say, Sapphire is incredibly well-regarded amongst the PC Well, well thank community. you. We'd, we'd like to believe we are. <laughs> well, no. And I, you know, I'll speak for myself. My favorite card I've ever owned was a Sapphire 7970 Dual X. Oh, so, that's a great card. Yeah, I traded two 6950s for it. Um, And this is actually a card I bring up all the time in my podcast because it it was really, it was incredible to me for two reasons. Going from like 6950 Crossfire, which usually actually kind of worked back then, doesn't really anymore. But 
Well, yeah, and, remember it was kind of work. That was the problem with dual card solutions the whole time. Well, I, I can say that at least for me, the 6000 series had a higher chance of working compared to later generations in my experience. But it does definitely depend on which games you use. And now it's it's pretty much not recommended ever. But I, I remember what was so crazy about the 7970. And this is something I try to explain to people is like, you have to understand the strongest card before the 7970 was the GTX 580. And, you know, yeah, that would destroy uh, 1080p gaming, which was kind of the 1440p of its time. I mean, the right. biggest resolutions anyone had were 20, uh, 25, no, 2600, was it? I'm trying to remember, 1600p was the biggest right. resolution. And that was kind of the 4K of the time. And that would get like, yeah, I mean, kind of almost four, like 5K now, really, like 30 frames a second. And then the 7970 comes out, double the RAM of the 580, significantly stronger with drivers. It got light years better. And it overclocked like no other. I mean, people like haggle over these 5 to 10% overclocks now. And I'm like, you understand, stock was 925 core, 1375 memory. Mine hit 1225 core, 1835 memory. That's on average a 33% overclock. That's the difference between you know a 2080 yeah, that, and a 2080 Ti. That just doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. Everything and so, and so I have the strongest is, card, right? The strongest card, and it was overclocked 30%. Like, there wasn't a game that I couldn't run at 200 frames a second. You just don't get that it anymore. Was, it, it was, well, what's happened is I've got a theory. Uh, I don't know if my theory is accurate or not, but that's okay. Wendell from um, Level One Tech told me he thought I was onto something. In the early days of this, I, I, I'm, I go back to Celeron 300. When mm -hmm. we took it from 300 to 450 megahertz, that was a 50% performance yeah. boost. It was nuts for a $200 chip, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, back in those days, the yield was so all over the place. Mm -hmm. Quality control was really difficult. This was this was really new at this yeah. point. Okay? And the yield was everywhere. And you get to today, and the yields are really efficient. These chips are coming on that wafer, and they're pretty much where they're supposed to be and done. Mm -hmm. And and so the chips seem like they're closer to their top edge as they yeah. come right out. And, and overclocking as a whole, gosh, overclocking as a whole kind of died about four or five yeah. years ago. It started, relatively speaking, to what you used to get out of it, it's becoming oh, less and nothing. less. Yeah. I mean, there's some situations where it can make sense. But what I will say, too, is I had 7950s for mining, and all of them could go from 1250 megahertz memory to 1800 if it was a launch right. edition, which is, again, I, I try to explain to people, you guys understand there's a 50% overclock to the memory band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's insanity. It, it, well, they look at they people today, the enthusiast community today doesn't have the... In some in some ways, it, the the majority doesn't have the same level of tech expertise. So, for example, you go back to the early days of Monty. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you didn't cut something, you weren't Monty. Sure, it didn't exist today. Well, I would say people, that's kind of still true. But <laughs> well, it, it it is to me, but but to to most people, most of the new people coming into this, if you threw an RGB fan in <laughs> and water cooled it, you modded it. Well, that's not modding. You didn't cut anything. Yeah, what I modded I one of my cases. You know, I took a saw and I sawed off part of it, and then I drilled holes in it for cooling. That's modifying a part. I actually drilled into the metal. 
we've we've um I've cut holes out to add fans. Yeah. Um, I've cut sections of the case off to make a video card or another type of, yeah, of make cooling a card solution fit, or even yeah. a PSU fit in a case. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Monty. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you throw some paint at it and 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 maybe water cool it in a little RGB, that's not Monty. That's I, I mean you might have done something cool, but no. If there yeah. wasn't blood involved, you didn't mod it. And there often was literally blood involved. <laughs> literally blood involved. So I think you started, I, I, I did creep on you a bit. You started at Sapphire in 2013? Um, I'm here. This will be, is it 2013? I'd have to go look. I think that's what um, your LinkedIn said I, for I, full I disclosure. I, I seven years. So it might have been 2012. Mm-hmm. So what I so that was the era where too additionally the toxic additions that Sapphire yeah. made were absolutely hilariously like the, I did a whole podcast about the era where AIB cards like we right now we have Nvidia versus AMD uh, for graphics cards and Intel's there they're going to be there a little more soon hopefully and there's rumblings that ARM might enter and maybe someone else eventually. Um, but back in the day, it really was, at least when I entered, right, the 4000 series, 5000, it was just NVIDIA and Radeon. But the AIBs did such crazy things with some of their aftermarket cards that it was almost like there was a third manufacturer. Like the Toxic 6950 came with a bio switch that literally flashed it to a 6970 for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, was, it was a different era. Mm-hmm. It, it was a different approach to the way things got done. We we get asked all the time, why don't we have a toxic now? The the simple reason is it's economically not feasible to have a mm-hmm. toxic right now. And what I mean by that is when when we produce a video card, we have to look at what our cost is going to be, what we have to charge for the video card based on what we give you. And to make mm-hmm. a toxic, you need to go over the top. Yes. You need to go nuts. So let's use the 5700 XT as an example. But I would love to. <laughs> reviewers, reviewers are showing that even with the best overclocks they can get, you're not getting a huge performance boost. Mm-hmm. You just it it's the chip is near the top. So the first thing we look at then is even if we bin these chips, are we really getting a good gain? Mm-hmm. Now let's add a monster cooler to it. Let's add a ton of RGB to it. Let's do all this. Okay, what's our final price going to come into? Well, gosh, you start looking at that and you're beginning to get to 2070 super territory. Well, to and- give people an example too, the 7970 Toxic, which was one that when I first built my PC, I was just blown away by because its stock clocks, I believe, were 1200 megahertz, 1600 memory. And mo- and I saw overclocks on that card hitting 1300 megahertz. And I think some of them got to 2000 megahertz memory, like just absolutely re- speeds that honestly eclipsed the Titan before the Titan even came out. And it had six gigabytes of RAM. I remember that cost about $700. But if you consider it's about as strong as a Titan, it was really a Titan for $300 less before the Titan came out. So there was an opening there back then to do something like that. It doesn't exist today. The the same level doesn't exist today. It's not that we don't want to do a toxic. Mm -hmm. We have to look at it. Can we maintain the integrity of the toxic brand Mm-hmm. With with the keep complete, it a special event with keep it completely over the top, but still make it where it doesn't 
costs so much that it's just not worth buying it. And with these chips being pushed to the absolute limit already, that's really hard to do. It's it's really hard to find that way to get all the way up there. I remember this rep. Uh, this was in May. You probably heard about this. The Sapphire PR rep. I believe it was on a interview in Asia, though. But he said that Sapphire was working on a toxic 5700 we're XDA. Always, we're always mm-hmm. working on a toxic. He, I think okay. he said it would have 16 gigabytes of RAM and be water cooled, <laughs> which you could do. You, you could. Um, but but when when you do video card design, everything's a balancing act to price. Mm-hmm. So you look at the cost of the chip. That's a given. You're stuck. Now you got to look at the cost of the PCB and the coolers and everything else. And you got to take that cost. And you got to look at what you can sell the card for. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be a balancing act because you're you're in a very competitive market. If people wanted us to build the absolute best 5700 XT ever built, the highest possible clocks, the the absolute best cooling, totally silent operation on air, we could build that. We could, but could we sell it? Well, and and you know, I think to say, but that's part of what companies have to do. That's absolutely what it is. But I would say Nvidia is almost begging you to do it with their ridiculous pricing right now. I mean, (laughs) you look at the 5700 XT, um, and this is a $400 card that is like five percent behind the 2070 Super. It's really not very far behind it. It's a great card and ship. But so that means it's like 10% behind a 2080. And so I don't know if you ask me, though, I feel like if you did water cool it, if you did push it that little bit on the core and then gave it, you know, uh, 16 gigabit per second memory, you gave it that 20% faster memory and gave it 16 gigabytes. Well, let me think. So I know like a gigabyte of GDR6 is like $5. So you could add another... Let's see, $40 to the cost. <laughs> I know your special edition's $450, so now we're at $490. You add the liquid cooler. Let's say that brings it to $550, and then you bring it to $600. Well, I don't know. A 20% overclock to the memory, 10% higher core speeds, water-cooled. I think you have a solid chance of beating or matching the 2080, having double the RAM. And basically, the argument would be for $600, here's a 2080 with double the RAM. And it's cheaper. 2080s, you know, more than that. It, it it sounds like a good idea, but at the end of the day, it, it's all math. It, it's mm-hmm. all a it's all a, a calculation based on as a company, how can we make the money to keep making these products? Mm-hmm. That's it. At the end of the day, we we don't it, video card industry doesn't have massive markups in it. Well, maybe on the Nvidia side they do. <laughs> and, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the video card isn't industry, though, isn't one where you make a massive amount of money every time you sell a video card. Mm-hmm. And so you have to sell. It's about mass quantity sale. Mm-hmm. And it's about finding the best value, finding the best performance value. Uh, that's one of the reasons I love our Pulse series. Uh, mm-hmm. Our 5700 XT Pulse, $410 MSRP. Uh, so you pay $10 more than a reference. You get a ton better cooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, much quieter operation, uh, a little bit faster, not a lot faster. But then again, like I said, how much faster can you even really? Yeah, yeah. You've got to limit how much faster these cards can get anyway. Um, but that's why we also then produce the Nitro Plus. So mm-hmm. 
you want something more. Maybe you want a little bit better cooling, a little quieter operation, and you want the bling. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want the bling, then you pay the extra and you get the bling. But it, at some point, there becomes a diminishing return on the ability to effectively sell a product. Well, yeah, and, and if you guys launched a $600 card like I just <laughs> described, wouldn't that be a problem too if, say, a bigger Navi came out at some point in the next exactly. few months and slotted next to that? What comes next. So if you guys um, perhaps were planning a toxic, maybe you decided to not launch it well, because no, there's I, a I big know, one coming around the corner. The case, and I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna speculate on that. Okay. Uh, that's I, what people I, pay me I, to do. I can <laughs> say though that every time we look at a a new hiring ship, we look at the potential of a toxic. Mm-hmm. We look, can we do this? Can we within a reasonable price point get this over the top? Um and, and then it's also, does it provide the performance difference to matter? I mean, we're, we're back to if you if you built a 5700 XT, and, and as we've said, the, the difference between a reference 5700 XT and the best overclock is what, about 3%? It, it's a well, really I mean, you can number. get more. It depends how you look at it, right? right. Like, I know you can get the memory t- higher, and that's basically free performance for not much more power usage. I know... I don't know. I think you can get 10% more performance if well, you want. Well, let, let's split the difference and say five to six. I so mean, without at, screaming, yeah. You're, you're only looking at five to six percent performance difference. So even if you put the money in just an extra special cooler and stuff, you didn't really give anybody anything except a more expensive product that performs the same. Well, I, again, now I'd say the competition from NVIDIA is now paying $100 for 5%. So That's a marketing issue that we try to combat every chance we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's one of my jobs. That's why I do interviews like this. Uh, I'm amazed when people do the comparatives that they don't take everything into account in the comparative. For example, Trix Boost, which is something we just came out with the 5700 mm-hmm. series, yeah. but it works down the road. Um, gives render scaling to all of our cards down into the 400 series that can, for for a little reduction, I mean, just dropping to 90% render scaling at 1440p, mm-hmm. I'm seeing 15 and 18% performance boost. Now, remember, that's without overclocking, so no extra power, no extra heat, no mm-hmm. extra noise, no stability issue. And that's putting us up there with the 2070 super and and that's no cost uh, yeah, I mean, it's no cost i mean the the whole yeah the debate about what is worth what i mean you uh, as i say to people there in every game there are two settings always you can probably turn down and get a 50% performance boost well, and you won't about, even see a visual difference i, I don't know about 50% we we talk some about, games it's insane we, well some games it can get nuts but we we talk about this a lot um, I, I think there's a misunderstanding from many people. For too often, the mantra has been pushed uh, ultra for ultra. Yeah, you're going to get the ultra experience for ultra. Uh, like I said, I've been working with game developers for decades, and when I talk to them, they all pretty much agree with this. Probably about 90% agree with this statement. Games are designed today to be played at 1080p on high, yeah. not on ultra. High, this is what they wanted the experience to be for the gamer. 
Ultra is kind of put there for glamour shots. Yeah, it's for the end marketing, frankly, and, you know, yeah, and, and to get you to upgrade. <laughs> and look at some of the changes that take place to show off from ultra to high. Some mm-hmm. review sites have to do stills that are zoomed. Mm-hmm. Now, think about yeah, that. Are you ever going to game that way? <laughs> I'm going to stop here because I want to zoom in to see that incredible hair. I <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can even go back to uh, remember what happened with Witcher 3 with tessellation. NVIDIA gave CCP the tessellation code mm-hmm. and it was cranked through the roof. It was just cranked up nuts. But to notice it, you had to zoom in like on a wolf to yeah. look at its hair follicles. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't need to see if a wolf's got dandruff or not. It's trying to eat my face. Mm-hmm. And then they discovered that if they took that number and even cut it by half, Mm-hmm. It was impossible to see the difference. Oh, I know. Performance boosted everywhere. Um, this is this is we've got we've got this culture that gets so wrapped up in throwing money at a problem, mm-hmm. and and if you throw three thousand dollars at a gaming PC, you'll get a great gaming PC. In fact, I'm I'm surprised. I see a I'll see a reviewer on YouTube, and he'll be looking at a thousand dollar video card or a thousand dollar CPU, and you'll hear him aghast with amazement that this card could perform this amazing, dude. For a thousand dollars, it better perform it. that amazing and make me a sandwich. Yeah. Okay. It's, it, you don't you shouldn't be amazed by that. That's simple. That's throwing money at it. Um, I just did a video. Uh, I'm part of a couple of uh, Facebook mm-hmm. groups, and I did a video on on the groups, and I talked about when you're building a PC, and this this gets so oversighted. When people start going to build a PC, the first two things they look at are the CPU and the GPU. The first thing you look at is how are you going to use the PC? Uh, you are. I'm just. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard any of my podcasts, but I literally the- until they introduced me to it. Uh, yeah, the last two episodes, to- we literally were talking about this. You don't, and this is something that I, I don't want to dwell on it too long because I feel like I've talked about it three episodes in a row That's now. Right. But but when you do a budget build, the idea is not how much do you want to spend. The idea is what do you want it to do. Exactly. <laughs> because when you say uh, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars, and it's like why? Like I can spec, and I'll always I'm you know I'm pretty good at it. I'll spec out a PC better at gaming than what they spec. And there will be like $250 left over. You know, I'll give them, for instance, in the one I just did for a video, a 5700 instead of a 1660 Ti. I mean, we're right. talking entire other levels of gaming performance. And I gave them, you know, like a R5 1600. That's a 12-thread CPU that will run 60 hertz in every game for a while. And it's 80 bucks at Micro Center, guys. Like, so there's really no point in going above it. What do you want it to do? 60 hertz? Well, here you go. That, you know, all of this, yeah. 2700X, Micro Center right now, $125. I know. Hey, why, that why happened right after I made the video. <laughs> why would you buy a 3000? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the 3000 series. Mm-hmm. But the 3600, what more do you need as a gamer? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, hell, you can go back to the 2600 and get great gaming experience. You can go back to the 1600 and yeah. still get great gaming experience. Yeah, I mean, so, as long as you're not going for 144 hertz, the 1600 is not ever going to get bogged down at 60. I don't no, think, not no. for years to it, come. It shouldn't. It shouldn't have an issue. And I'm using 2600s at 144 hertz, 1440p, mm-hmm. and not having any issues at all. Mm-hmm. So it's people get people get wrapped up. They think they've got to spend tons of money, 
and they don't need to spend tons of money. They need to be they they need to understand what they're going to do with the system mm-hmm. and understand that it's about the experience you get with the system. We we as tech enthusiasts sometimes get so wrapped up in the technology that we forget this technology is about what we do with it. Mm-hmm. We become like a imagine a master carpenter who spends all of his time looking longingly at his hammer. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me what it looks like. It doesn't matter to me if the cable management is perfect or anything else. All yeah. that matters to me is is it smooth, stable, and reasonably quiet. Yep, that's yeah. And I'm kind of in the middle. I like it to look nice. Like I have a Cerberus Slinger micro ATX case with like a silver handle and stuff, but I didn't get it just because it looks nice. I got it because it's one of the most sturdy cases. And I I have a Radeon 7 50th anniversary edition. So I have that red one that they do in front of. Uh, It does look nice though, right? It does. And it matches, It's it literally is the exact same shade of red that my steel case is. So I'm like, ah, I'm doing it. Like, There I, you go, why not? But the cable management could be better. And But, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. If And to be honest, the special edition didn't cost more than the standard version. And I, and I got it to mine. I got it to render. And before that, all my cards, I wanted them to mine. Now that I have a channel, I render. And then when I was in college, it had to be able to do like AutoCAD for engineering and stuff. I've actually never had a PC where its only use was gaming. And so I think when people see some of my high-end specs, you know, like, why do I have SSD RAID? And it's like, well, because I'm moving files this quickly, you know, when I rent and all this other stuff. And if I just gamed, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know what I would have. It'd probably cost half as much. I don't want you to see my powerful rig and think it's just because of that. And I didn't spend any extra on RGB, but hey, if it costs the same and it's the same color, eh, I'll try to color code it. Well, reviewers tend to get spoiled Mm -hmm. uh, because companies will send product. Yes. I've I've always been, even when I was a reviewer, I championed the the average consumer user Mm -hmm. because I I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I still don't have a lot of money. Uh, Anybody that thinks you make a lot of money doing this, you're wrong. Um, But if I have to buy it myself, like my wife's system's a uh, 3600 or no, 2600 mm-hmm. with a, an old Vega 56 that I had laying around, but she uses it for 1440p gaming. She's happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual gaming rig, um, it, it's got a, a 5700 XT, but that's because I got it from Sapphire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've got a high-end GPU. Again, we got a 3800X because AMD sent me one because this is also my test bench. Mm-hmm. My case is a Leon Lee test bench. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's open air, which I kind of like because that makes it very quiet. Yeah. Because it's it cooling is not an issue with anything that I'm doing. Uh, but if I had to go buy it myself, no, I, I wouldn't spend that much money. Uh, I, I would still buy, I'm, I'm using a Pulse 5700 XT. I'd still use a Pulse 5700 XT or 5700 mm-hmm. because of the value that's represented by those cards. Uh, CPU, as I said, I'd probably only use a 3600. Well, my SSD, uh, I don't know if you've got them. If you, and It sounds like you've got a Micro Center close. Um, not right now, but I I used to go to them when I lived in Detroit. Inlum Premium SSDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the one terabyte costs a hundred bucks, and it's thirty five hundred by three thousand in performance. 
Mm-hmm. It's and crazy. Is that a reliable brand? I'm, I'm honestly asking because I uh, plan to upgrade I, my rig. I've got six of them with no failures in the last year and a half. And not okay. all of them were premium. Some of them were the professional, which mm-hmm. are not the by four. They're by two. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but still, it, it's incredible how quick they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've got a good controller on them. Um, I want to say it's Micron. I could be wrong on that. I got the cheap one here. That is a not visible with my eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting name they gave it. <laughs> yeah, that that's. But these, like I said, I'm using these in in everything I build right now. Um, and I've used their regular SSDs, and I've had no trouble with it. They've been a very solid brand. So I have a question here. I mean, Radeon's kind of making a bigger resurgence right now, which I think is. I mean, long overdue, but I mean, we have the 5700 XT and that that's, that's I think, legitimately just barely a high-end card. And it's compared it to the competition, yeah, it's certainly, you know, I think of it the same way I used Upper to think of this. Range. Yeah, like the 7870. The 7870 was a mid-range card, but the 7870 was pretty powerful for the time. So there's a reason it cost a little more than typically a mid-range card You would. know what? Let's, let's throw out the mid-range, high-end, and low-range, and let's do this a different way. 1440p, the 57 and 5700 XT are fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're great cards for this. 1080p, 390 or 590, 580 right now. Mm-hmm. 570 even does a good budget job. When you move to 4K, that's where the competition really begins to stretch their legs a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the 5700 XT can do 4K60 fine. It, Again, turn down a few settings, guys. Look at, or, or use our tricks boost. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you suddenly get the performance. Yeah, and suddenly a 5700 XT is a very viable. And and that's the thing that's really cool about boost. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to play with this with the software yet. All it's doing is, is creating a custom resolution a, a little bit, 10%, mm-hmm. 15% below the resolution of your monitor. And then your monitor is going to automatically stretch it and upscale it. Yeah. Now, at 1080p, I don't think it shines that well. At 1440p, it looks good. At 4K, it's crazy. You can't tell the yeah. difference. And you throw in Radeon image sharpening into this. And yeah. and suddenly you've gotten really no in in, in yeah. any so just like way, no the, image resolution loss by like twenty percent and then sharpen and you're done. And and you've still got a 15, 20, 30 percent in some cases performance mm. boost. Um yeah, I, I I'm really amazed that reviewers haven't jumped on the bandwagon for this more and talked about it. Well, you know, uh, I think there's this focus with reviewers to be scientific and Sometimes they succeed. Some of them, I think, succeed a lot. I have channels I recommend well, all the there time. Are, but, there are some great reviewers. I'm not going to say there's not. But but in your obsession with being scientific, and by that I mean, well, we're going to run 4K Ultra for every card because we're being scientific and we have to use the same settings. And this way, it's easy for people to test at home because they can just you know 4K Ultra and check your results. I think sometimes you're missing a point, though, which is that no one's gaming 4K Ultra who actually cares about their frame rate. Everyone's turning down a few settings. So when I do my benchmarking, which I... I've only reviewed, I've reviewed my my Radeon 7, and I've reviewed a 5700 that someone sent me from another channel to borrow for a review. I will run my roster of games that I think are 
decent and I will run them usually at high or customized like the settings I use. And I'm like, these are the settings I use for a reason. Let's compare it to the 2080 Ti. Let's compare it to this. And usually you'll see much different results than just Ultra because the problem also with running at Ultra is if AMD sponsored a game, they might sneak in a setting on Ultra right. that really hurts NVIDIA. And, or and NVIDIA I find more those. often NVIDIA right. does it constantly. Tessellation, we talked about that. And so you might notice all of a sudden AMD's winning on high settings, and that's what everyone's actually using. Yeah, it's well, it, it, this is back to what I just mentioned to you. I, I really wish we could see more focus where the product is intended to be used. When mm -hmm. the 570 came out, I saw people publishing 4K reviews for a 570 video card. That was nuts. Why did you go anything past 1080? Well, was, to be fair though, in some games that could run 4K 30, and I have friends that just play at 30 frames per second, so I guess if you're good with that. Well, no, I understand that, but I, I'd like to see a more targeted focus where the mm -hmm. product is meant to be. Mm -hmm. um, People are looking at using my using the CPU. People look at the 3600, and they're comparing Cinebench and Blender scores and everything else. Okay, the 3600, the the whole Ryzen 5 approach was never meant to be a prosumer chip. Mm -hmm. it, it was targeted at the the PC gaming community was really the focus, I believe, of Ryzen 5. Mm -hmm. Ryzen 7 is the beginning of a prosumer chip. Everybody I guess the reason they do the that, though, is people are still blown away by the fact that now you can get a 12-thread CPU for a couple hundred bucks that renders better than what, you know, Xeons used to render just five years ago. Like, that's well, I, that, I think that they do me, that. That, to me, is a fair comparison. But when you're comparing a 3600 to, what is it, the 9900... What SK or whatever it is now? Um, the, the 9900 KS. Yeah, yeah KS. Okay, that's a silly comparison. It, it's not even the same ballpark. Mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up. Like I said, we get wrapped up in the numbers, and and the numbers don't always tell an accurate story. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, as a gamer, and that's my emphasis, as a gamer, your gaming experience is the only number that counts. Mm -hmm. The, the frame rates don't matter. Did you have a good gaming experience? If you did, then it's super. You got a great card. If you didn't have, then you need to look at your other options. So, I mean, I guess kind of just to steer it back to something else. Okay. Radeon's making a resurgence now. They're in the high end again, or just barely, or like you say, upper mid-range, if we're being fair. There was a while, though, when I entered the PC space, I would say the 4000 to the, well, tell the 200 series, where I was used to Radeon being the strongest card, honestly, kind of most of the time. I mean, 7970, then 290X. Like, I was used to Radeon always being up there, being, like, I think people don't understand, like, why do you... You know, it's a long discussion about why I use Radeon. I actually like the drivers typically more for years now. Uh, but like why I use Radeon for specific things and why I always used to own Radeon. The re you know, one of the original reasons I owned Radeon is because they have the performance crown, guys. I don't think you get it. Radeon's they had the did performance crown a, a, a few times now. But that really all changed in the 400 through 500 era. And I always loved how Sapphire focused, not focused, but sometimes brought out Toxics or these insane models. I remember there was a version of the 270X that could do 
quadruple crossfire like you guys just decided to make it capable well, of it that. wasn't just it, it wasn't just us the ability was always there a lot of people we didn't did. include the extra ribbon though but right. you guys we, did we just did we yeah we were one of the first to do that um but but the 400 through 500 series was markedly different. It was very weird for me to get a 7970, to be blown away that the 290X defeated the Titan for half the price. And then 2016 came, which is when a lot of people built their PCs. I mean, because that's when 14 and 16 nanometer right. came out. And I think a lot of people were waiting for that. And so I think people look at the 400 series, the 500 series, and they go, well, you know, AMD is always a good budget option. I'm like, you know, it just, it, they used to have the performance crown, though. They weren't always. Just a, you know, and this is what my friends would say, not me, a budget uh, option. Was that a weird era for you now that we're kind of going back into challenging for the crown? Well, for you me, know what I mean, no. right? For Yeah, I know what you mean. For me, no, it wasn't weird because my focus was never at the top. My, mm -hmm. my focus is the average PC gamer. The, the mainstream market, when you start at about $150 and you go to about $400, that group mm -hmm. in there, that's probably a massive percentage of total oh. GPU sales. Yeah, I think and, uh, below 400 is like 80% or more. I think and, it's, it might be 90. And, and so my focus has kind of always been there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I look at the high-end stuff. I we When we have high-end stuff, we try to sell it. Uh, and we do sell it. We we succeed. Look what we did with the Fury. We took. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Um, the Tri-X Fury. We I had one. A, we sent it to a non-tech, and he Ryan will still say this to this day. It was the quietest high-end card he has mm -hmm. ever reviewed. It was quieter at load than most Nvidia cards at idle. Yeah, it was silent. I, I had it, one. It, yeah. it, it it was practically silent. It was just a beast of a card mm -hmm. but you could for, bio slash it too <laughs> and and but for some reason the fury never got off the ground it, mm -hmm. it never did as well in the marketplace as it should have done and there there are a lot of different reasons people point to that they point at marketing nvidia is great at marketing you can't sure. take it away from them they're great at marketing uh they point at marketing they they point at all these different factors I think in the end, it's the the performance crown is kind of like the world's economy. Mm -hmm. You're going to have big spikes and you're going to have big lows. Mm -hmm. You're going to have it, it. There's a natural cycle to everything. AMD, you go back what early Athlon was beating the crap out of mm -hmm. Intel. It was just a much better product, and then they made some missteps. Now, up at that point, <laughs> yeah. Intel had made some missteps. Remember, sure. Pentium 4 was just, they had oh, to no, back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. They and had all to the, my viewers back know up that because too, Pentium 4 as an architecture was dead. Mm -hmm. um, they had to back up. Well, it, AMD made some missteps. Bulldozer, I, I think, is a is a classic example of where You'll the missteps You'll still find made. people defending Bulldozer, but I'm like, guys, look, AMD's on top now. Get over no, Bulldozer, okay. though. Okay, <laughs> look, let, let's be clear. Bulldozer didn't suck, mm. but it wasn't great either, okay? It was functional. It was adequate. And and in this market, adequate doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, but AMD has turned that around, and they've climbed back on top. Uh, the 500 series and the 400 series, man, you got to look at that, at that series of chips. 
Because essentially, and, and people point this out, they're essentially the same chip. Mm-hmm. There's been some minor modifications and speed bumps. The fact that that architecture is still viable mm-hmm. this far into its life. Yeah, it was almost like a hibernation mode there for AMD when they were, well, it, frankly, they were running out of money before launching Zen, right? They needed, yep. Zen had to succeed. Everything else was second, was was fifth place. <laughs> But like that I'm, was it. I'm just saying, you look at the at the GNC architecture, how much life it had. Oh no, I agree completely. And and now they're moving to a whole new architecture. The move to a whole new architecture may be their upswing. They're about to mm-hmm. come back out, and they may very well take the top performance crown back. Uh, until we see a new chip, we don't know. Mm-hmm. When I see the 5700 and the numbers it throws, <laughs> I'm feeling yeah. pretty good about the future right now. Yeah. Well, let me say this too, actually. You touched on something that I think would be interesting to talk about because I have you. Um, I actually did a video talking about what could have been done to make the 300 series and the Fury series succeed better. And I, and, and again, this is just all, you know, speculation, like, you know, pretending what if they did this. I think a lot of it was the naming schemes. Half of that lineup was rebrands, which, I mean, they were good right. value. So I'm not really insulting them, but. It was a bit confusing for a lot of people, I think. And additionally, it was at the same time as Maxwell. But I think when it comes to Fury, I really think what maybe should have happened is they should have decidedly... They had <coughs> proposers. They could have gone to 8 gigabytes of HBM. And that would have made it absurdly expensive, I agree. But I really think the problem, even though it was HBM, is people didn't want to spend 650 for a card that had 4 gigabytes of RAM. And I think it would have almost been worth it to take the top yields of the Fury, give it 8 gigabytes of RAM, and sell it for $900 as a cheaper Titan. And then really, really focused on making the Fury, you know, not top version, more competitive down there as well. Well, NVIDIA marketing was really aggressive. I don't think AMD pushed where they should have pushed, especially Mm -hmm. with Fury. Fury was something ridiculously brand new. Yeah. NVIDIA at this point has been doing, and they still are today, it's more of the same. Mm Mm-hmm. They take the same and they make some changes, more the same, more the same. And AMD threw the same out the window and did something really innovative that has the potential to change a lot of stuff down the road. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they spent enough time pushing that. I I mean, take HBM and let's expand it to its And I want to say this. I remember talking to my little brother who was in high school. I was in college and that came out. Oh, no, I guess I had just gotten out of college. And I remember talking to him about the Fury, and I'm like, and it has four gigabytes of HBM. And he's like, what's HBM? I mean, the GDR5 was introduced with the, what, the 4000 series, I believe. Right. So we were used to, <laughs> I mean, almost a decade of GDR5. And when I told him they'll have HBM, which is an entirely new memory system, he said, oh, are they allowed to do that to finally make something new? Allowed to do that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, AMD no, it was a joke, a- though. AMD hasn't spent enough time tooting its own horn. They have been much more revolutionary mm-hmm. than Intel and NVIDIA. Uh, oh, I, I would agree. Even, even with Sapphire, we, we don't spend enough time tooting our own horn. If, if you look back at, at the GPU technology, here mm-hmm. are some of the first Sapphire did. We were the first company to bring consumer-level graphics cards with HDMI. 
Nobody else had done it yet. We were the first company to bring out-of-the-box factory overclocking. Mm-hmm. We were the first company to bring the large, large-style cooling solutions to graphics cards. We were the first company to bring vapor chamber cooling to graphics cards. Yeah, I remember cards. that. And and you look at, at those base technologies that I just described that are now on everybody else's video card. Mm-hmm. From all of us at Sapphire, you're welcome. And <laughs> But that that's the point. You got to toot your own horn a little bit. AMD has been an innovator from 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 day one. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be recognized. AMD video cards actually have an advantage over NVIDIA video cards, but not in the area most people think. NVIDIA video cards are sports cars. Kind they're, of. They, they're super I have my own low. opinions. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy. And when I get to the other side, you'll understand where I'm going. AMD video cards are pickup trucks. Mm, Now, what I mean about that is they may not have the raw blanket speed, Mm. but in raw horsepower, in raw versatility, they destroy what the other side does. If if you move away from CUDA and you move to um, open compute, Mm -hmm. even lower AMD cards beat the snot out of NVIDIA. I mean, look at mining performance. That well, was hilarious watching. And, you know. and, and in various other things, as companies are beginning to realize CUDA's problem is, as, as an API, the problem with CUDA is, first, it's closed, mm-hmm. which is a problem. But second, it's actually limited in what it can do. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have that open capability that can stretch across the full potential of everything the chip can do. Because in a raw horsepower perspective, the NVIDIA chips don't have that raw horsepower. They're very focused mm-hmm. at what they do. They're very focused at what they do. Um, their drivers are very focused at what mm-hmm. they do. They make a gaming card. They optimize the driver specifically for gaming. They optimize the GPU specifically for gaming. Everything is completely focused on gaming. And AMD has tended, in my opinion, to build a more brute force, open, versatile mm-hmm. chip. And that makes it difficult to compete when the only thing people care about are frame rates. Well, and frame rates in games that just came out. I had a friend ask me a few years ago, why does this keep happening? I've noticed these NVIDIA cards, years after they come out, always seem to lose performance relative to the AMD counterpart. You're I'm not like, going to sucker me into that. No, no, no. I ain't going to bite into that what? one. I'm not going to bite that one on the uh, planned obsolescence argument. No, I... I, well, I, I actually look at it a different way. It, it's You could argue it's that, and I'm sure there's some of that. But what it really comes down to is they build this new architecture to crush 1080p gaming at ridiculous frame rates on the games from one year ago. Hell be damned with what comes. We don't care if you need more RAM. I mean, right. look at the you know two gigabyte 680 versus the 7970 doesn't matter that's going to completely fall off a cliff soon or the 1.1 you know 1.25 gigabyte GTX 570 I mean what a joke compared to the equally priced like I, 6970 and you know I, AMD builds their cards to last and to use to run games that come out in 2 years decently Nvidia doesn't care they want you to upgrade by then <laughs> they just want to get 180 frame rates now even though no one's running it, it games does, at that speed it does feel like that there is a focus on the now more than mm-hmm. the next month next year well it's done well for them so um, far <laughs> and and people will argue with that with RTX well 
But and <laughs> I, I've got a whole argument on RTX. First, ray tracing isn't new, despite what NVIDIA wants people to believe. Ray tracing's been around since the beginning of computer graphics. There were ray tracing uh, demos on the PS3's cell processor. They just decided yeah. to not use it because it's not worth the performance. Right. And and what NVIDIA introduced with RTX and what we're even seeing with the... Um, oh, Neon Noir. Uh, yeah. Even with that, what we're seeing is a subset of ray tracing. We're not seeing true ray tracing. Mm. True ray tracing in the truest form of it is so ridiculously intensive mm -hmm. that... I'm not sure that there are any two combined video cards that could do <laughs> 60 frames per second at 1080p in a completely 100% ray traced environment with the current game. I'm not sure it could happen. Well, well no, we're, we're just very far away from that. And you're going to have to build entire engines and architectures around ray tracing, let alone have them be substantially more dense, you know, at a nanometer level, bigger, more powerful cards to be able to fully ray trace. We're years yeah. away from this. Yeah, it, it's kind of like, to me, it, it's like we look at HDR right now. HDR is here. We're capable of doing it. The biggest problem we have is, is the sheer cost. A true HDR monitor, a proper HDR monitor, $1,000 or better. You can't get an inexpensive. The good problem is HDR TVs monitor. are getting cheaper, though, and I feel like monitors have massive margins right now. This is a whole other discussion, but you can get it's coming down. You can get OLED 4K 120 hertz TVs for less money than these ridiculous Asus G Sync monitors now, that are double the cost. Now, is it a true 120 hertz though, or is it a 60 yes. double? Okay, true. that TV behind me. Four, that would 4K. Be 120 hertz, HDR, OLED, OLED doesn't have input lag. Right. Guys, you can get this. I, I mean, you know, I got it. At, I, I waited so long to get an OLED TV. So I went out and I spent the big bucks, but I'm pretty sure this is already, you know, $500 off what I paid. Like, um, it keeps getting cheaper. By by early next year, you'll be able to get the TV I have behind me. Guarantee it for like 1200 bucks. And that's a lot. That's a lot of money. But you know what? It's half the price of those stupid ass Asus G-Sync monitors that cost $2,000 <laughs> and have 384 dimming zones. OLED is per pixel dimming. Are you kidding me yeah, with these prices? I'm going to OLED. I'm waiting to see some longevity testing. That was one of the drawbacks to OLED. It doesn't have a lot of longevity to it. Well, it depends. And if you got an OLED TV from a few years ago, there's going to be burn-in, but they've come a long way. Right, but I, I want to see I want to see new models four and five years from now, and because right now most monitor technology today, and this is something the monitor people hate, by the way, is monitor upgrade cycles are about seven years on average. Mm -hmm. The average person buys a monitor, and even if it's 1080p, they stay with it for seven years mm -hmm. because. You invested in a monitor. It's a good monitor. You got well, when you it's want. set up. You don't want to have to like take it off the desk. Exactly. And, and until I can see that OLED can deliver that kind of longevity, I think it's just about there now. I would agree that you wouldn't have wanted this for a PC monitor. Oh, two, a three few years, years ago, ago. no, it been, you wouldn't. It would have been a nightmare. You'd have already ruined your monitor. And and you would have, but um, at least from what I've read from the reports there and the tests they're doing now is they finally got it to where it needs to be. We'll find out soon. They're having laptops come out with OLED this year, and well, we'll see in a year what happens to them. It'll, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. OLED would be a really big jump in mm -hmm. monitor technology. Uh, it would make HDR, I think, more feasible. Oh, it looks incredible.
it, <laughs> it, it, it would just be it would just be incredible. But HDRs, HDRs, we've got it now. To me, it's a nothing burger. You you HDR four hundred, no. Okay, and, and, well, and I would agree with that. You want the full HDR10 experience yeah, to notice do, the difference. Either do that or don't do it at all. And even add to that, some games implementations are not that good. No, no. So some it, of them aren't even really implementations. No, they're not. And it, it's just we we've reached that point. HDR is it, it's a non-consideration for me when buying a monitor. Well, I buy. Let me ask you this though. Have you seen like Pascal, if you run HDR, you'll get like a 20% performance hit on their GPUs, whereas AMD it's like 5%. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. So so I, what, I've never seen a 5% performance hit on my GPUs running HDR. The newer I ones, do, it's like 1%. You won't I, notice it. I do I do demos um at LAN events I attend with HDR just to show people some of the potential. Uh, AOC gave me a monitor that's it's still HDR 400, but it doesn't do bad. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you take there are certain games like um, Andromeda. Mm -hmm. I've heard, I've heard that's a good one. Division yeah. Two doesn't have bad HDR implementation, mm -hmm. and you take those games and I can switch them in and out real quick and show people what it does with HDR. When I was doing that last year, that was with a Vega 56, and I wasn't seeing a performance hit at all. The you have a Vega card. <laughs> yeah, that was a Vega, and the performance hits were staying really stable. So Turing doesn't get a hit, but Pascal gets like a 20, 30% performance hit if you turn that's on HDR. Crazy. Well, that Why? that's memory crazy. compression. You can't do HDR with how much compression they're doing with the video. And so that's one thing I wanted to talk about the sports car analogy. I, I think the analogy is valid uh, I, for sure. But the problem I have is that that's not really true anymore when NVIDIA's nerfing image quality to get higher frame rates. And you, I don't know if you've seen that video by Tech yes City. He literally does freeze frame at high resolution in an NVIDIA card and an AMD card at the same time. If you zoom in, you can see license plates are blurry on the NVIDIA card. In the distance, there's you, more. You know what, though? That's been around for a long time. Um, my first AMD video card, it wasn't AMD then. It was Radeon. Mm-hmm. 8700 I don't I know. believe it was <laughs> um this this goes back this was right before the 9700 pros came out mm -hmm. um but I had that and I hadn't had an Nvidia card up till then because remember back then you had 3dfx you had matrox you had uh trident mm -hmm. actually had some 3d cards you had a lot of competition uh, but I remember I got my first NVIDIA card and I hooked it up and I had both cards and I was testing them and I was amazed how much better the image quality was on the on the um, ATI card. Mm -hmm. It was just really visibly better yeah. image quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I think that if you if you watch going forward, I, I think the the gap has closed. But between I still, NVIDIA and AMD, it, yeah, as far as image the image quality. quality I can but, still notice it though. Well, I'm amazed how many people I see online that tell me that. They 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 get on Reddit, they get, yeah, I, I use Reddit. They get on Reddit, they get on well, Facebook. Everyone uses Reddit, yeah. They um they come to me at events and they'll talk to me and they'll say, Well, I had gotten an NVIDIA card because I thought it'd be better, it'd be faster, but the image quality isn't as good. And it, I, I think that's an interesting observation that again doesn't get much press. Because the yeah. image quality difference is not so drastic 
that people are like, oh, yuck, I can't game like that. But or, or they just don't know, right? I mean, think about it. How many people have two rigs in their house? I mean, maybe you just true. get a new video card. Side to side you have no way to tell. <laughs> that's true. So it might, I, it might be worth that for somebody to set up a real demo like that. You said Tech Yes did it. And I've been told that one of the main, and this is getting kind of into leak rumor land, but one of the main reasons Google went with Google with uh, Vega for Stadia was they did a blind test internally. And they said that even streaming, they said some of their employees could immediately tell which cards streamed over AMD because yeah. the colors were just so much better. Yeah, except Stadia is dead on arrival. <laughs> hey, I'm just telling you an example of the image quality. <laughs> Not saying you should get Stadia. That whole That whole streaming process thing is... We're not there yet. Yeah. And actually, so now I'm going to switch gears because I have some questions here from people okay. uh, on my channel. So like, and we touched on this, actually. I have a question, too. So you don't like all the RGB, it sounds like, usually. Uh, no, for, not my personal as much. Use, for my personal use, I'm not a big fan of RGB. So, so what do you think about kind of the toyification of a lot of these graphics cards because i remember the <laughs> 5000 well i mean I, I don't know what to tell you right and it, it even annoys me how expensive they are because you see these things that look like they're made out of mega blocks and they're covered in these oversized bulging fans and lights and it's like i i personally like the clean cut gray look professional look of the like 5000 and 6000 series um and i mean for instance the the reference cooler for the 5700, I think that looks nice. Just gray, square, dead, nice corners. Kind of throw me off. My OCD got into the dent. Yeah, I, I don't know. I the dents. Uh, I don't hate it as much as some well, people. I don't. I certainly don't like this it. This is this is something we looked at with our four and five hundred series when we introduced the Nitro Plus. Mm-hmm. One of the things we did was we we took an approach called the little black dress, okay. and and for those that don't know what a little black dress is, um, females that that are into fashion mm-hmm. always keep in their closet what they call a little black dress. This is a simple cut black dress that can be worn for anything. It can be right. worn for out on the town for a fancy party or just running around the house. It's the little black dress does everything. So if you look at our Nitro Plus 400 series and 500 series, we introduced the concept of the little black dress, a very simple shroud design. Mm-hmm. that kept a very monotone or dual color mode to it. The idea was we wanted to simplify the look. By the way, that got well-received. It, it uh, I agree. Um, they look substantially more professional than these ridiculous, like, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't need to give it, um, get into and, examples. And, and again, even with our, even with our um, Nitro Plus 5700 XT, mm-hmm. despite the fact it's got the silver highlights to it and the RGB, it looks... We, yeah, aesthetically kept a very clean adult video card look to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will agree with you. There are a lot of companies that have just gone way over the top, way mm-hmm. over the top. Though the Hello Kitty one—that's not what it was called, but <laughs> no, that, we all the, know the one, the one you're talking showed, about. I loved it. That I was amazing. It was funny. If, if my daughter was ten or eleven still, I would have bought that and put it in a PC for her. Mm-hmm. That there's a place for that, but mm-hmm. the the Toyification, there are made up a word for everybody. Mm-hmm. The toyification of the PC industry has been going on for a while. Yeah. I, I don't who who told everybody that RGB is what all gamers want. I've I've done polls at, at mm-hmm. events and on Facebook and stuff. 
And every time the winner for what color lighting would you like on your computer was none. <laughs> they, yeah. they don't want the lighting. Keyboards, mice, headsets. Good God. Why would I care if there's I, lights I here? Okay. <laughs> there are RGB seats now. Mm -hmm. There, there appears to be quite a bit of this in the industry, a move to put form over function. So you say you do these polls that say that people don't want, uh, you know, all of these lights or to look like a kid's toy. And most of the people I talk to on my channel would agree with you. And I do. But why do you think that it's so prevalent then? Do you think that these cards are selling well because they're better overclockers and in spite of their silly looks, people are buying them? Or do you think people are buying them on Newegg or Amazon or at Micro Center? Because, you know, I don't think they would just do it for no reason. Well, I, I think it's it's different audiences within the gaming community. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is something, again, I talk at a lot of events about this. My generation, we're the group that started all of this. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised how many of us are still involved. And we have moved away from all of the funky stuff mm -hmm. to being simplistic. We don't overclock. Most of us don't overclock anymore. Uh, we we buy a product that's going to do exactly what we want it to do out of the box, and we don't care. We want to do what we're going to do with mm -hmm. the product. Then you've got a middling group that is beginning to move in that direction and your your audience your group might very well be in that mm -hmm. middling group and then you've got the entry group and and the mm -hmm. entry group I'm not talking about age as much as I'm talking no, about I know, experience yeah. and and that entry group is looking at this and they want what we had back in the day where the product looked techy mm -hmm. and unfortunately they've been led to believe that a lot of lighting is techy Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. It, and there, it, there has been a lot of new people entering PC gaming over the last five yes. years too. And it, well, it, it, it gets frustrating for me. Use keyboards as an example, okay? You've got all these keyboard companies now have software, but when you're playing a game, something happens in the game, and your keyboard flashes different colors. Mm -hmm. That, that can kind of be cool. Me. That distracts me. Okay, I mean, it's so not going to help you. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm running around. Let's do Far Cry Primal. I'm running around mm -hmm. Far Cry Primal, and a saber-toothed tiger goes to attack me. Mm -hmm. And as it claws me, it, it causes me damage. Suddenly, my keyboard starts flashing all sorts of colors. What's the first thing most people are going to do? They're going to look down. And when they look down, the tiger's killed you. I, I look at this, and, and part of my brain just goes, why, yeah. why do we do this? I, I don't need fancy lights on a keyboard. I've, I've been teasing Logitech about this all day long, by the way. And I do this publicly, so I'm not I'm not scared of mm -hmm. what they're going to think for this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used the the 603 or 613 keyboard or mouse. Um, I don't know names of any aftermarket okay. mice this or keyboards, a, to be honest. This, this, I'm showing him the picture. You guys aren't going to see this in the podcast. This is a true wireless keyboard. Yeah, it's a very straightforward looking it, it, keyboard. It's got roamer switches. It, it's got light speed for wireless, and it runs on mm -hmm. two AA batteries for about a year. Mm -hmm. True wireless. Mm -hmm. So I give them I give them grief that the other wireless are what we call faux wireless because they're still a wire because you got to charge it. That doesn't have one. Oh. <laughs> I have been begging them though. Why don't you produce this in a ten keyless design? The the one where the uh, the number keys are taken off the side. 
Oh, okay. And why don't you produce it that way? Because that's the keyboards I love for gaming. They're great for gaming because they're small, they're compact, mm -hmm. that, you, that you can get them out of the way. And so what do they do? They bring out an RGB version of a lower profile keyboard that's wireless, sort of, with a cable. And I'm yeah. like, seriously, guys, give me some functionality here. I don't need backlighting. Mm -hmm. I, I want the ability to have true wireless here. This would be sweet. This is what you see in a lot of these companies. They they focus on. But you think people are probably buying them for a reason, then, right? Well, but I think it's just maybe them in not the people who listen. They to don't us. have a choice. Well, I mean that's certainly true at this point with the graphics <laughs> cards. Like, well, I don't it, have a choice sometimes. I just have to it, get the silly looking one. It, it's not just the graphics cards. It's the keyboards. It's the mouse. It's the mm -hmm. cases. Uh, I've been I've been having a running fight with case companies for a couple of years now. Oh Cur yeah, the cases. Some current of them case completely... designs suck. Who, who thought that no airflow was a good idea? Well, no one was buying them for airflow. That's the sad joke. Yeah, the sad them for airflow. They're not considering the, the PSU shroud. You look at a typical case today with the PSU shroud, mm -hmm. you can mount three 120 millimeter fans in it. That's awesome. That's some good intake airflow. Even with the restrictions, you can possibly get good airflow, except the bottom two thirds of the bottom fan are mm -hmm. not pushing air into the main chamber. They're pushing air into the PSU chamber, which doesn't need oh, air because yeah, it's right. got <laughs> air intake. And we we get so wrapped up sometimes in form over function. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the reason a lot of people buy some of this stuff is they don't realize either one, that there are better alternatives available, mm -hmm. or two, there aren't better alternatives. Sometimes that's cool. the sad thing is uh, sometimes there just aren't. Yeah. I, I it, it, it is what it is. It, I it, mean, it, my well. case, by the way, is literally just two. There's a the whole bottom is a vent. There's two giant 140 millimeter fans in the top. There's two giant 140 millimeter vans and oh, it's one awesome. chamber. It just chimney, pushes straight chimney, up chimney and then there's a fan in the back and a fan in the front and then it's just sealed and then that's it. You know, and but I bought this case specifically because I'm like this thing thawed it all out. Yeah, there there are a few cases that that did really well with this, mm -hmm. um, but most cases today just or it, they're overpriced. What do you think about how big they are too? Because as an engineer, I love I always love small form factor oh, and yeah, trying to make I'm it as small as possible, especially with how Crossfire doesn't make sense anymore. And now we have cheaper, smaller liquid coolers and all this. SSDs are smaller than hard drives. Like you can make a, I mean, like I see some of these PCs that are like four times bigger than mine and then they'll have like a 1050 Ti. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, what is a, this? I'm building a new system to take up to my father-in-law's for the holidays because mm -hmm. I, I don't want to lug my test bench. That's mm -hmm. not cool. And I don't want to yeah. lug the demo system because the last thing I want to do is break the glass somewhere. <laughs> just So I'm building a, a small form factor build. I just picked up an ITX motherboard, going to slap a 2600 in it, got that SSD I was just showing you that's going to go in and give me 512 on NVMe. And I'm going to slap a Vega 56 in it. I've got a reference Vega 56 mm -hmm. I'll slap in it. Um, I hate big builds. I used to love them. I used to build monster cases, uh, level 10 GT, uh, the Speedo mm -hmm. back in the day. I, I don't know if you remember the Speedo case that Thermaltake made. It wasn't little tiny like a Speedo. I it actually was, might know what you're talking it about. Was it was absolutely huge. monstrous. And had it a bunch was of chambers monstrous and stuff. case, yes. Um, 
I used to build in all of these. But then one day, uh, a, a friend of mine introduced me to small form factor building. Mm-hmm. And I tend to lean toward MATX cases. And the reason yep, for that too. is because our graphics cards are fairly big to get that yep. really good cooling on it. And I want to make sure they fit properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm good friends with Josh Sniffen. Uh, Josh, actually, they make um, he makes his own ITX cases that are just incredible. Yeah. But those those builds are a little small for me. <laughs> so I, I look for a good MATX case that gives good airflow. Uh, the Air 240 brake case, if you want to do an ITX build in it, you've got plenty of room. You've got mm-hmm. dual dual 120s in the front and in the bottom and in the top. I, I mean, yeah, yeah mine is micro ATX. Yeah, the one I just uh, described. That's really cool. Uh, my demo rig is a Crystal 280X. Mm-hmm. which got a lot of grief, but I don't think it deserved the grief it got. I've got a bottom intake, two front intakes, and one top exhaust, and I get great airflow through it. Uh, I use air-cooled systems. I don't use liquid cooling at all. Mm-hmm. The, the reason for that is a good downdraft cooler will also cool the VRMs. So you get the whole PC cooled with a good yeah. ground downdraft cooler. So I put a decent downdraft cooler in it, and and these work great for me. I don't like big cases. I, I think they're ugly. So what do you think about the fact that uh, micro ATX motherboards are starting to become more and more rare? Because I used to, I started building in an era where micro ATX was usually the best price performance. You know, it's less materials right. than ATX, but you're not spending extra to make it tiny. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I, you can't get a micro ATX X470 and there's one I think now soon too, but they're kind of both junk micro ATX uh, X570 motherboards, which is when is Sapphire going to start making me some micro ATX? I I wish to God we would make an ITX motherboard. I would love to be part of the team to put that together. I I would just be thrilled. Because you can't even get them anymore. Like It's just all ATX and EATX and ITX. I just wish. I I think the reason that happened was look at the chipsets. To use an example with the ITX. Why anyone would buy an X570 or an X470 or an ITX board makes no sense to me. You don't need all the extra PCI lanes. You can't use them. <laughs> You've only got the one slot. And I think that that's kind of the reason MATX has died. MATX was there to offer a bridge mm-hmm. between one slot and five. That's why I like it. <laughs> and and that was a neat feature, but the need for the extra slots has all but vanished. Mm. Uh, most ITX boards, even inexpensive ITX boards, come with Wi-Fi. They come with mm-hmm. decent LAN. They've usually got decent onboard sound, which is something that I know there are people out there going, no, my ears. No, really, onboard sound in many of these cases isn't mm-hmm. bad. Uh, they've got plenty of USB slots, mm-hmm. and they've got four four to six SATA slots and then an NVMe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've got 99% of what you need in that little board. Mm-hmm. So then you move to MATX and first you pay less for it, which yeah. is weird. That's weird to me, but I understand it's about the miniaturization. Mm-hmm. You pay less, but you don't really gain much in features. You don't. Yeah, you have an extra slot though for like a sound but card you got or one you know. extra slot, but it, the sound card has begun to die. 
Yeah. The internal Unfortunately, because they're not all good. Some of them are, though. Some of them are well, very good. Some some internal sound cards are very good. If you really need good sound, I recommend an amp deck. Mm-hmm. I think it's a better solution for good sound. Uh, I happen to use Mayflower. There you go, guys. Hi, Mayflower. Uh, <laughs> there, there are some really good amp decks out there. Uh, and, and at reasonable price points, you don't have to spend $200. Mm-hmm. You can spend $100 and get a really good amp deck, which is what you're going to spend on a good sound card. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's there's not the need for the extra slots anymore. Yeah. And when you move to ATX, most people I've seen didn't move to ATX for the slots. No, that, they, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. But that is they, why I like micro ATX. Actually, it's because you don't really save that much space in most of these ITX cases because you, you have don't. to still fit this giant graphics card anyways, right. guys. Like, what are you talking? You know, and so that's why I always like micro ATX because if you really spec out how big the case is, you're adding like 10% volume to get if all that. of these features that you don't need the extra space on ATX. So I really wish micro ATX was more of a standard. It seems I, like we agree. It would be nice if it was more of a standard and if the companies took it seriously, mm-hmm. but nobody's taking it seriously. I, ITX and ATX are where the companies are all focused, mm-hmm. and that's where the money is for them. I believe they, they oh, get yeah. higher. They're following the money. It, it's it, People want to buy them, and I buy ITX. I almost exclusively buy ITX for everything I build. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. I think I've got about another 15 minutes, but I, there's a couple of wrap-up questions here. Okay. Too. Like, I guess I'll, I'll ask one that's more specific first. Do you see Talk Sapphire using any of the more eccentric features in some of these professional cards in a gaming card? What I mean for an example, there's a professional version of a card that comes with like a one terabyte Super speed MVME <laughs> drive on it. You've seen that. It's I know cool, drive, right? I know it's it's very cool. So come um, on, it, make a it, toxic it, version with it, one ter- it, one terabyte. I'm putting quotations of RAM. It, it's completely impractical. Mm-hmm. Um, to use you can a, put that on the box though. You can put one terabyte graphics card, <laughs> and we'll call it the completely impractical. Yeah, um, it, it it sounds like a neat idea, but so there there are two uses to have a terabyte SSD on the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would be that you use it for caching data in the graphics memory. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a really cool idea. We're already having trouble fully utilizing, in some cases, eight gigabytes of graphics. In most games, sure. Yeah. Most games are only showing five to six. Mm-hmm. And, and that's at really high detail levels. Okay, That's mm-hmm. everything cranked up. They're only getting to five to six. Uh, so the the addition of the SSD probably wouldn't justify the cost in any performance boost. I don't think there'd be enough of a performance boost to matter. The second use of that SSD, if you're going to do this from a gamer perspective, right, right, would be to use that as an NVMe drive, access mm-hmm. that PCI Express port. In theory, hmm. that can yeah. work, but you've added now another controller to the card. Mm-hmm. And you're stealing potential bandwidth away from the graphics card to allow the hard drive to function. Mm-hmm. So in either case, it's a neat concept idea. I don't think it's a practical idea. Yeah, well, it was Concepts a question that we had Concepts for fun, though. Fun. But I mean, come on. I mean, you, you could advertise one terabyte toxic edition and all of a sudden. 
<laughs> How many maybe sales do you make there? Maybe it's something I'll push up to the engineers. Because really, that I'm thinking about the idea of putting an NVMe drive on it mm-hmm. and letting that drive function over the PCI Express. You certainly have enough bandwidth over PCIe 4.0 to share it. Yeah, but 4.0 just isn't practical for most people right now. If if you're going to buy a new motherboard right now, I, I tell people don't buy an X570. Mm-hmm. The only advantage to PCIe 4.0 is for an NVMe drive, which those drives are overpriced, and we still can't use up all the bandwidth that's available for the regular NVMe drive, with a few exceptions, such as yourself, at the professional mm-hmm. creation yeah. of the market. So I guess just a general question then moving forward is, where do you kind of see graphics cards innovating next? I will say, you might say software, right? Because Sapphire is definitely pushing some interesting software now that only they have with their cards. But when it comes to form factors and, you know, different types of fans, liquid cooling, like where where do you kind of see graphics cards going next for AIBs? Like Like what's the next gold rush? One of the big problems with liquid cooling is there is really not potential for good sales. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not selling you can't sell the cards. I'm saying you're not going to sell a lot of the cards. Don't because you think it's they're overpriced, though? Like, couldn't they just price well, them? Well, part of it's they're overpriced. Part of it is, though, a massive percentage of the computer gaming market mm-hmm. doesn't want to work on their PC. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They want to... For example, I, I think of myself a fairly intelligent man. I know how to change oil. I know how to change spark plugs. Mm-hmm. I've changed brakes. I've dropped a transmission in my life mm-hmm. on purpose, by the way. Not, not <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've done work on cars. I pay AAA in a mechanic mm-hmm. because when I get in my car, I want to turn the key and go where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Most gamers, a, a, probably an overwhelming majority of gamers that I know, don't care about the technology. They mm-hmm. want to put the power button on, double-click their game, and play their game. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the technology. So it creates this weird spot when it comes to introducing new things into this technology. The form factor first. Let, let's go there. That's more dependent on the chips we get handed than anything else. Yeah. If you get handed a chip that needs a certain level of cooling, there is only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, air cooling is always going to remain above water cooling because water cooling is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. All right. It really is. I did, believe it or not, in, in all these years of doing this, about four years ago, I think it was, I did my first ever custom loop. Mm-hmm. The folks at EKWB were like, oh my God, you've never done one. We're going to send you all the stuff. And I built it. And it was a Really interesting experience. I did it with soft tubing, so it wasn't as difficult as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, the system ran great. It was quiet. It was smooth. And I'll never do it again. And and the <laughs> reason that I say I'll never do it again is if I want to swap out that video oh, card, yeah, you're, yeah. I'm in a mess. If I want to swap out that CPU, unless it's the same socket, I'm in a mess. Then you've got to make sure that when you put this together, there's a whole other level of planning involved because you got to put drains where you can get to them well. You got to put fill tubes where you can get to them well. Then you've got the problem. You have to understand how the fluid works. You see, I made a lot of mistakes with this first build. I used colored fluid because mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty. Yeah. And and Josh Sniffen, who's literally a water cooling expert, told me, he said, oh, you screwed this up bad. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, get some distilled water, get the um, whatever it is that you put in it to keep it from getting bacteria and stuff to build up. Right, yeah. He said, you're going to put three drops in it. You're not going to have to touch this thing for three to five years. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have to touch it. It'll stay clean. It'll run smooth. As long as your fluid levels are good, you'll be fine. And sure enough, two years into it, everything was clogged up because the color had begun to break down in the fluid. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of hassle. For a lot yeah, of people, that's a whole day comes, of just it, disassembling it. For, for when it comes to building their gaming PC, they don't want to do it. That's the reason I don't believe you see sales high. Well, when I mean liquid cooling, though, I mean like a built-on all-in-one cooler, though, right? And those uh, are, I think, the problem with those are they're just overpriced all the time. And, well, they're 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 overpriced. They are very case specific for where they're going to work. Well, what case doesn't have a 120 millimeter fan, though? Well, right? it's not a matter of necessarily having a 120 millimeter fan. It's necessarily, possibly, do you have long enough tubing? Mm -hmm. And if you have too long a tubing for the case, where's the extra tubing going to go? So there's there's a lot of considerations in that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never seen any any sales information from my sure. friends and other companies that suggest that those cards do well. Well, they're always like $200 more than a normal right. one. And I'm sorry, guys, a all-in-one cooler is 50 bucks, not $200 more, but they'll charge no, but $200 it's, more. You're, you're not just paying for the all-in-one cooler. You had to mm -hmm. change the PB, uh, PCB design to make it properly fit on and do what you want it to do. You have to do a different machining for everything mm -hmm. to get this to be put together. There's additional validation requirements that go into it there's an additional warranty insurance you got to carry mm -hmm. remember these companies carry a warranty insurance that if they're aio yeah, that, breaks, that's true that's true so you start adding all of that up that 200 isn't as ridiculous mm -hmm. as it sounds it's not like it's not like it is you can when, just swap out a fan you know if that yeah, breaks it, it's, it's not easy. that simple it's not like it is when uh when a certain boutique gaming computer company that will not be named tells you that if you want to move from 16 gig 2300 <laughs> to 16 gig 3200 you need to pay them $400. Yeah. Okay, that's not it's not the same level of thing. Um it it's just more complicated. So that's it's a neat idea but I I don't see that we're we're at a point yet where the change makes sense. There's there's mm -hmm. really cooling has become really efficient at what it does now. This is one of the things we we get a lot. People ask us, where's VaporX? Mm -hmm. Where's the VaporX card? Well, the reason we're not doing a VaporX is we have got our heat pipe technology down to the point. It's almost as good anyway, and it's less expensive. Mm. So I don't have to charge you a $20, $30 premium to put a vapor chamber on here mm -hmm. when I can do it with just the heat pipe technology, and I'm within one degree centigrade. Mm -hmm. what, what, why would I charge you the extra money to do that? You want to save some money. I want to sell more cards. A lower price means you can sell the cards better. Everybody wins. Um, as far as other innovations go, it, it we're limited to what the chips are. We're limited to what we're given to work with. We work with what we have. We create the best with what we've got. Um, the software solutions, I'm really proud of the team that put together the the tricks boost because I think that that's an incredible idea that's been way overdue. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and and it's it's wonderful. Um, I, I think there's room for some other software innovations. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a few ideas we're floating. 
me and the guys that, that did the Trix booster floating them. Uh, we're looking at that. Uh, I, I think there's room for maybe some changes in the way the cooling works. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not on the engineering end to know if it's practical or not. Right. Uh, I, I, I've always believed that we could change the way fans function. Oh and, yeah, and, for sure. And make They're all fans the same. Way more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I believe there are ways to make, um, I I've presented a couple of ideas, but the engineers, I, I don't know. Um, I presented a couple of ideas where we could take reference design, the blower cooler. Mm -hmm. And actually, in theory, I thought we could make it more efficient and quieter. I mean, I understand there's a reference design. You got to get it out on launch day, but there's right. probably a few tweaks you could make, right, to make it better. Well, yes and no, because you've got the cards. You've mm -hmm. got the cards. You need to kick them out the door. Mm -hmm. um, you you want to get past the reference design to your design because your design is meant to be better. It's meant to be cooler. It's meant to be quieter. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our goal with every design we do. Um, we we don't do the the solution many companies do where they they look and they go oh a new chip hey you know the cooler we used two generations ago we'll I that. know which companies okay. you're talking we, about we, yeah. we don't do that we actually look and say okay we're going to go new here what do we need to change what can we do uh, what can we tweak I don't think there's any place right now for a radical change in the way the video cards are designed right now physically yeah yeah I I, I just don't see there being a change there. Not yet. Well, let me ask you. Well, actually, I have a couple more questions. Quick. One is, what made you reach out to me to do this? <laughs> uh, okay, so like I said, I'm part of a couple of Facebook groups. Uh, mm -hmm. AMD was it AMD hardware enthusiasts and AMD computer builders or something like that. And both groups had a couple of people mention your podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I do, like I said, on those two Facebook groups, I do these videos yeah. where I talk about stuff like uh, I, I talk about tips for building PCs. And I gave non-normal non tips like uh, here, here's a little tip for your audience if they've never heard of this before. What if I told you there's an easier way to hook up the front port connectors? What do you mean by that, though? Because some motherboard manufacturers come with a little thing that makes it really easy. Some, some come some. with it, but, <laughs> but most don't. Mm -hmm. But what if I gave you something even easier than that? Okay. The front port connection is a four by five pin hookup. Mm -hmm. What else is a four by five pin hookup? USB two internal connections headers. Mm -hmm. oh, so you could okay. buy oh, a right. USB two header extension cord that's braided, looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. Hook all your cables at the other end because it's a standardized hookup, how mm -hmm. they're going to hook in. And then take that through and hook it in. It looks gorgeous. It's cheap, and it's so easy to do. Mm -hmm. hmm. And, and I, I was amazed that nobody's ever thought of that before. Nor sold them as its own thing. I mean, come right. on, guys. It, this it, is it, one it, of those last problems we like. Where it's yeah, just this ridiculous. is so. This is, but I do little videos like this, and and they mm -hmm. said, "Man, you got to go talk to this guy because this is what he does." Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I'm okay. You know what? I, I love talking to people about computers, about gaming, uh, about the the lifestyle of computer gaming, uh, uh, land parties, all of it. I mm -hmm. love doing this because this is, like I said, this is a lifestyle for me. This is what I just love to do as a hobby as well as work. Yeah, and they probably mentioned me recently because I just did one with David Does Tech Stuff, and I did make a a small form factor build where, like I told you, I literally fit a, and it was a Sapphire Nitro Fury into a 
Well, I mean, it's a a case smaller than like an Xbox One, about as big as a PS4 Pro. And like, wow. I literally had to like flex the metal to barely just fit it in there, but it just <laughs> barely fit around it. Yeah, if you look at the last, maybe let me think, maybe not the last step. Yeah, I think episode 21 of Broken Silicon on YouTube, like on the thumbnail, you can see I just took this small form factor build with a 6700K, multiple SSDs, a sap, <laughs> that giant nitro. And I just, it, if you take off the side of the case, it's literally just a brick of wires and stuff and select airflow channels going through it. Like I made oh, it wow. just small enough. Yeah. That's cool though. Yeah, that's it's the, a lot that's of fun. That's the kind of stuff I love. That's the kind of stuff I love. I love, I love when I see people that that take something that shouldn't work mm-hmm. and make it work. Yeah, that that to me is just right. Well, you know, that's what's uh, that's one. I mean, right? I, I'm an engineer, so I just I have to create problems for myself. And so I was <laughs> like, you know, I got bored making bigger cases, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see if I can. And you know, that case actually fit in a backpack. So I would like throw it in a backpack with a portable monitor when I go on vacation or something too. Definitely look up um, NFC and Josh mm-hmm. Sniff and stuff. Then you're going to love his case. Yeah, I love when people do custom ITX. And uh, well, frankly, I think ITX is too big for these types of people now. We need to move to P- to Nano ITX so we can make them yeah, just that you're little not gonna bit get, smaller. Then you're not going to get any video card in it. Uh, well, if you custom build a case around it, you might. And 3D, a 3D printing actually might revolutionize this entire idea too. When you can like uh, literally 3D print around the components and make it even smaller. But it'd be nice if the, they didn't cost so much for the good 3D printers. Oh no, I agree. I don't think uh, I will be doing that next year or anything. I but. picked up a uh, $200 3D printer. I just printed. Um, I've got that Corsair Crystal 280X. Mm-hmm. I just printed feed extensions for it. Okay. So they actually the 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 foot on the case actually fits into it really tight, mm-hmm. and then it raises the whole case an inch off the table. So it gets oh, there better you go. airflow Much from the bottom. Airflow, yeah. So yeah, three D printing can be really cool for In the future. Yeah. PC. Well, even now for building PCs, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things. I'll show you this. I'm I'm working on an idea. We're going to see if this works. Again, folks, he's going to see this, not you. Yeah, that's a 120 millimeter, basically a hood scoop for a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, like a basket for that right. 120 millimeter so, basket. So the idea is, is I can set a fan intaking through the, the oh, hood yeah. scoop, and I can catch bottom air that normally couldn't get caught. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's an the idea. idea of that. And I've seen an ITX case with an AMD APU. And what they did is they 3D printed this case that literally had the CPU cooler jut out a millimeter from I the side. I saw that case. That I one was a very, case. very popular picture circulated around. It PC was. It's, it's a very cool design that he put together with that. That was actually really nice. And that's all you need. There you go. Now it's completely cool. That's, that's pulling it. it right in from the outside. Okay, how many questions we got left? I'm out and I've got to go jogging with the dog. I got to go to dinner. So. <laughs> it was good talking to you. Yeah, you know, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I I appreciated you reaching out and yeah, I mean uh so I guess there's no toxic 5700 XT coming soon. I guess that, maybe you guys leave it not room. coming soon. Never say never, but oh, right I know. now right now it's it's not in the planning stages. So if you want a 5700 XT, focus on the Nitro Plus. Oh, or the yeah, Pulse. that's 
And if you want a yeah. 5700, our our pulse is just amazing for a 5700 at 360 bucks. But hey, when you got to promote the 5800 XT Toxic, let me know. We'll do another episode. And I would say, what, four months, right? And then. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I, I can't okay. answer that with, a, with, with any kind of certainty, but I will come on anytime you want. Let me know. Okay, I will. All right. Thanks much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me. Tom of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice, share it with your friends, and if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course... If you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On November 17th, 2019, the following supporters are at the net first 10 gigahertz or higher supporter level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraz, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Mohammed Al Kawari, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Otterweisek, Thyris with the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue, 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schof. Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Olethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg G. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exodi, Wani Kerber, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Nick Neasy, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, and Carbon Cry. Thank you to everyone, and thank you to Sahara for the excellent music. Mm-hmm.